Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Limp Podcast. It might be the middle of January, but that doesn't seem to mean that tech news and events have slowed down any one bit. This week, we've got rumors that have been bubbling around that LG might or might not be exiting the mobile phone business. And while LG are currently officially denying it, it's still something worth discussing. So should they pull out or should they just double down and get on with it? Pocket Rick Henderson joins me to discuss. Meanwhile, at CES this year, L'Oreal revealed a new gadget for hair salons around the world to not only save water, but also help treat customers' hair. It's the latest innovation to come out of the company's tech lab, and I've been talking to the global VP of L'Oreal's technology incubator about personalized beauty tech and how tech will change the way we approach makeup and beauty in the future. And Pocket Lint's Chris Hall has been playing with the new Samsung Galaxy S21 range and joins me to tell us whether the new Samsung flagship is any good and which one should you get. But first, Rick, let's talk more about these LG rumours. Yeah, indeed. Um, this this is a story that broke um, over the last few days. It's a uh, basically LG, according to the um, Korea Herald in its own uh, its own land of South Korea, uh, said that essentially that it was going to completely pull out of the smartphone market. Now um, there were rumours not too long ago that LG was considering um, changing its plans for smartphones um but this was quite a big revelation that it was it was going to uh, withdraw entirely the actual the, the the piece cites quotes from both the ceo of uh, lg and a an lg official which was unnamed um uh, so you kind of feel like that there, there's definitely substance in this however after i spoke to lg um i was sent a quite stern comment saying there is no founding in this whatsoever yeah and i think that's the thing isn't it because it's been it's one of those things let's literate this very clearly lg have said that this is not happening there are reporters in korea that saying that is this happening so it's very much along the lines of, we're going to go along the route that it's not happening because that's what lg tell us but at the same time it's really interesting isn't it because if you look at the bigger picture here lg's mobile phone business has been losing money hand over fist for a long time. Yes, absolutely. Well, LG Electronics itself as a whole, and the smartphone business is quite a significant part of this, has lost 5 trillion won in the last five years. Um, That that, sounds like a lot. That's 3.2 billion pounds, to give you an idea, over $5 billion. So so it's it's losing a lot of money as as a business, and it will be looking, without a shadow of a doubt, it will be looking at which areas are are making money, which areas are not making as much money, and it will be trimming. And this all stemmed from a comment from the CEO, which has been confirmed. This is a genuine message that CEO told to its staff, to his staff, that um, 
that the uh, company would, that, that all the rumours they've heard about the smartphone business, their jobs will still be safe regardless of what LG does with its smartphone business. Now, that suggests that they definitely are looking to do something with it. Um, now, do you it, think, I mean, there's obviously lots of options. You could just shut it down and, you know, say thanks very much and just replace everybody in because LG has lots of other businesses that they could probably move all those people into or you could sell it yeah um i actually i actually think the latter is likely um is and i suspect and this is only a personal opinion but i suspect that the strongly worded uh, re- re- rebuttal from LG uh, suggests that it is in currently in negotiations with other manufacturers anyway, and that uh, any kind of um, uh, non-disclosure agreement is dependent on, uh, sorry, any sale might be dependent on a non-disclosure agreement. And this kind of story that's now circulated might actually affect that. Now, that could be a, a situation that's going on. I've always, I, I've heard rumours in the past that LG might even, rather than sell the business, um, get a, a OEM the business. So mm. it would have LG manufa- uh, LG branded smartphones, but manufactured elsewhere. That's something that's happened before. We've seen it with BlackBerry in the past. We've seen, oh, seen it with Sony Nokia. With the- Nokia and Sony yeah. with their uh, Sony with their Vio range, didn't they? They kind of outsourced that to begin with, and then eventually sold it. Indeed, and and in fact, one of the massive successes of an OEM is TP Vision's um, uh, uh, mastery with Philips TVs in Europe. Um, Philips TVs are fantastic, but they're they they're branded Philips, but they're actually made by a company called TP Vision. So it it can work. It can really work, and it might actually revitalize LG's phone strategy because. To be fair, on LG, it has made some fantastic phones over the years. We all remember the chocolate wheel uh, and the LG oh, Wing. From, yeah, I remember. I remember. They. I don't know whether this was actually in the consumer box that you'd buy in store, but I remember being sent the review unit that, and they scented it with chocolate smells inside. <laughs> so when you opened the box, it smelled like chocolate. Um, and then there was the LG Prada phone, wasn't there? From those, yeah, they kind of they seem to have this really strong moment, didn't they? And then it was at the beginning of Android, they were really kind of you know coming out with some amazing phones, like that original G series. Yeah, um, the fir- I yeah. think I, I, I went. I seem to remember I was in New York for the G two. Uh, I think it was G two launch, and it was a stunt. It's a stunning phone, um, yeah. and we were all looking at that and going, "Well, everybody else is going to have to catch up." Um, especially on the camera front. But however, everybody did catch up and then sort of like kept going. So where do you think it went wrong? Um, I think uh, LG didn't innovate quick enough. Um, it, it ended up almost playing catch up. It ended up almost releasing phones that were vague copies of other phones already on the market, in my opinion. And therefore, it, it, it had taken away that thing that LG was always great at with things like the chocolate and the Prada phone of innovation. And it started to just release fairly bland phones. The other thing that I think LG did incorrectly is it focused very heavily on the mid-range when everybody else was looking at premium. And that was something, I mean, ultimately, that was something that burned Sony Ericsson when yes. you know they focused on the mid-range. It didn't sell because they got out played by a lot of the Chinese manufacturers like Xiaomi and Huawei and Oppo and all these all these technology companies are coming in that are more aggressive and offering you more tech for your money at that price range. And then, you know, you 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 don't have any of that 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 market anymore and, and therefore you lose out. And I think it's probably one of the things that's starting to affect LG. I also think on the on the upside from from what you're saying is that 
there is a sense of they have innovated, but sometimes in the wrong direction. Um, you know, my photo collection reminded me the other day of the time when a couple of about four years ago when they launched that curved phone and, you know, the recently launched God, LG, yes. LG Wing, where you've got this kind of, you know, a, a screen that rotates out from another screen and things like that, which is not necessarily like where you're, they're, they're, they're fantastic, fantastic for innovating, but not necessarily innovating where people need that innovation. I mean, the weird part about all of this is that, that, that there's still rumours coming out from uh, 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 LG about other phone devices. Like mm. um, there's a fo- foldable concept going around um, that LG have been working on. And it's, it's, that is definitely a, a, a design concept that uh, they are they are planning. So it sort of like seems at odds that they are looking to close the um, smartphone business, which is why, again, I will go back to the fact that I think they're going to sell it. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the Samsung Galaxy S21 range. It does cost a lot of money, and there's no denying that it costs a lot of money. It is right up in the premium tier of phone prices. I believe that it is more expensive than the iPhone 12 Pro Max as well, so that kind of puts it in its place. Designed as a startup within the research and innovation division, L'Oreal's technology incubator is dedicated to developing and launching new beauty technologies. Launched in 2012, the ideas that the company has been working on are slowly starting to make an appearance in our lives. In 2020, the company announced Perso, a system that allowed you to make any color of lipstick at home. And this year, it's released a product that allows you to save water when you get your hair washed at a hairdresser's. But is it just about adding in tech for the sake of it? Or can companies like L'Oreal benefit from technologies like artificial intelligence to make our beauty products more suitable for us? On the eve of CES, I spoke to Guy Balouche, the global VP of L'Oreal's tech incubator, to find out what the company has been working on. I started by asking him how important is tech to the beauty industry? Well, you know, I think that um, what we see is that... um, there's consumer needs in the beauty industry that are rapidly changing and evolving. Um, but the actual age old needs that have been around forever, um, haven't changed. And those are things like, you know, finding the best shade of foundation or, um, getting the best product, um, specifically for my needs. Um, and, um, I think that technology is providing a route for beauty to really, um, evolve into a more and more inclusive, um, environments to um, bring more and more um, performance for people and um, and to really open new doors and options. So I think that, you know, um, the future will hold much more um, a continued increase in, in the amount of technology we'll see in the beauty industry. Now, I remember being at CES in uh, last year and coming across your stand and you had uh, this device called the Perso, which mm-hmm kind of looked at moisturizing and stuff. How was that received? Has that moved on? Can you explain a little bit more about that? Because I, I feel that was like your first big sort of step in this in this sort of beauty tech sort of arena. Yeah, I think, you know, that project, the Perso project was something that we were really, um, it took a long time. It took five, six years to develop it. We've been, you know, I've been um, running this tech team for about nine years now. Um, and every year we come with something new, um, uh, it's been, I think six or seven years that we're coming up with new things every year. Um, but Perso was something unique because it was a marriage of many technologies together, um, that really try to solve, um, uh, a, a purpose. And the purpose is, um, how do you create, 
um, you know, the environment for people to um, see a trend and immediately tr uh, make the product at home um, rather than having to go buy a product specifically for every trend. And so to do that, we had this kind of connected device and it had um, the, it, it, the lipstick version. It does lipstick, skincare and other categories. But for the lipstick, you could virtually try on with AR um, the, the lipstick, uh, you could then see a trend, try it on and just have it right there by dispensing on the device. So to answer your question about how well it was received, um, I mean, uh, so far it's been, um, it's been mainly on the press and internal studies and it's been really well received. Um, and, uh, I, and we, we have a lot of, um, hope and ambition for it because we, um, spent a long time trying to make it as user centric as possible. Um, and we're, we're going to, to actually launch that, um, as a, um, a first beta test in the spring of, of 2021. So it will be soon in the hands of, of users. So we're really excited about it. And it's so far been receiving a lot of great feedback, um, on the studies we've been running and also, um, from people we show it to. Now, one of the interesting things I thought about when I saw that was this concept of it kind of being able to use the marriage of, of an app to sort of analyze your face to then be able to suggest, you know, a moisturizer at the time. Yeah. Do you think we're getting to a point where, and, and is this in the roadmap, where it allows us to to determine what the color you should, you know, what's the best color for me or what's the best, rather than just what's the moisturizer level, what the kind of the right foundation is or the mascara that I should be wearing almost like a, a personal tailor would say, oh, you want to wear blues or you want to wear yellows because it goes nicely with your eyes or, or things like that. Do you, are we getting to that point or is that still something that's very difficult? I think we're moving in the direction of, and it's perfectly in line with one of the uh, three values that we have in this team for almost a decade, which is um, um, inclusivity, um, performance and sustainability. And when we talk about inclusivity, inclusivity is everything you just mentioned. It's all about um, ensuring that every person has the ability to have a product for them, but also being sure that they can find it quickly. They can be recommended what is right for them um, based on data that they give. And I think that um, uh, that's really one of our biggest ambitions is to um, not just do technology for technology, but to solve problems. And I think that um, when you look at Perso is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, for many years, like uh, when we started this team, we did um, Makeup Genius, I think uh, 2014, so almost uh, seven years ago, um, where it was virtual try-on for makeup. Um, we did um, physical objects like a, a UV sensor at the Apple store called My Skin Track UV to help for measuring UV uh, uh, protection. We've done um, personalized beauty with uh, a bunch of um, projects like our Letton Particulier for Lancôme for shade um, to get the right shade of foundation or our dose project with SkinCeuticals to do um, skincare. And, and the reason I'm bringing all of this up is to answer your question, which is that over all those years, we've developed a lot of um, learnings and also um, products and services that are moving towards this direction that when you start to combine them, you can really um, uh, create a magical um, experience for people where they can um, get, they can see a trend of lipstick and make the shade with Perso um, right there in their house. They don't have to buy a hundred um, lipsticks for a hundred trends. They can make a hundred lipsticks with just one 
uh, with one set of three cartridges. Um, and it's the marriage between the physical and digital that allows that. It's the AR that allows people to try the augmented reality. It's the AI to be able to see the trends. And then it's all these, um, you know, um, devices or connected hardware that allows us to actually make, um, you know, miniaturized um uh, uh, you know, factories or things like that, or products that you can make at home. And I think when you do that, that combination of physical and digital will get us to a point, hopefully in the next, you know, upcoming years, where um, every human being on the face of the earth can have a, a precise information about um, their beauty habits um, and be recommended or also to work and co-create with, with platforms, um, their beauty beauty desires, um, which I think um, is is only unable to be done through technology. And that's one of our big purposes on this team. And do you think that's that's where it's all heading? Is this this ultimate idea of, of in the future, you won't go into a, a, a department store or, or a, a, in, this, you know, in the UK, a Boots or a, a CVS or whatever, and pick, you know, the colors of, of whatever you want, mascara or makeup or, you know, those things. You'll just have a personalized service at home that delivers the colors that you want whenever you want it? Well, I think, you know, um, when I look at it, I think that we have to look at the, you know, the real value add in each um, shopping experience for, for people. So when you go to the, um, you know, um, I think when you're trying to choose a shade of hair color, for example, today, when you see um, consumers go to the supermarket, it's very difficult to choose that shade. Um, because they have to know their hair color history and they have to be able to understand which shade will get them to from where they are to where they want to go. Um, and so we try to solve problems like that with projects like we've done on hair color personalization and, and others um, as well. Um, we have one called Color & Co where you can video consult with somebody and um, that's a hair colorist and they can help you get the right shade and we send to your doorstep that shade. But that doesn't mean people won't go to the salon actually. it's In fact, it's a... Uh, it's different because in the salon, they apply the shade and the application of applying the hair color is an art. So I think that what we will see is not people um, moving away from certain shopping environments, but we will see the, the value add becoming augmented thanks to technology in each of them. So at home, we should be able to have better ways of through um, accurate data, through personalization, through um, you know, um, connected um, architectures to be able to get the best product for us that better than what we would do if we just opened a computer screen and looked had a thousand options. Um, when we go to the the salons, we'll have, um, you know, technology that will allow us to get even a better level of performance and the way it's applied. Um, and, and it will free up um, a, also time for users to be able to, and people to be able to, um, to, to get the services that you get when you go to these places. So I think, you know, um, there is an advantage for all. It's just more about making sure that we are solving the real problems and that um, we don't ride um, the tech trend, but we try to solve problems of, that consumers have. Um, and that will, I think, elevate each shopping area. But I do believe at home, there will be a lot of potential with technology for sure. Now, talking of potential, it's a new year, a new CES, and you've got a new product which you're unveiling. Can you tell us a bit more about that? 
Yeah, so we have two announcements this year for CS. The first is our new product we're unveiling, as you mentioned, which is called the L'Oreal Water Saver. So this is a collaboration we had with a company in um, Switzerland called Gyoza, and they had this um, in, uh, water technology that um, allows you to reduce the size of a water droplet by 10x, like make it 10 times smaller. And by doing that, you don't compromise how the water... Um, uh, flows through the hair and the, the pressure and how it feels, but you use 80% less water. So we partnered with them and we built this um, technology called the L'Oreal Water Saver. And it's a personalized mm -hmm. system that um, allows you to uh, mix different treatments, up to three different treatments that go through this water technology um, and come and um, uh, come out of the 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 handle um, uh, with uh, with the water savings as well, and it kind of allows you this entire connected experience at the salon. You get to have treatments that are mixed um, together in the system through this kind of hydraulic system. It um, it allows the the um, person to that the use the you know consumer to go home and understand what services they received. It gives the salon um, information about what they've um, given to their consumer, and it also saves saves 80% of the water. And this is really important because today, you know, um, we see the amount of water that's used in salons and we want to tackle that to be able to really venture into sustainability and technology for a better future for the, for the world. Um, and it's a key, it's a key effort for our group. So we think that now is this great moment to unveil, um, a technology product that really tackles water and um, but doesn't make it only about saving water keeps the experience you know at the elevated even because you're able to personalize um and also have the same level of flow that you would have when you when you're at the back bar and so when you talk about the personalization is that again does that use an app or ai or whatever to uh, an augmented reality to sort of if i go in and they'll say okay judging you know looking at is it the, the the not the technician the actual you know the hairdresser that says oh okay i know your hair it's it's fine it's got this you need a bit of this we'll put that into the mixture at the same time or does it use technology to determine that for you it's a good question and i think that the future holds that kind of potential which is that you know by allowing people to know what type of treatments they've had in the salon um, in the, when they go into that kind of shampoo area or the back bar area, they get treatments and oils and conditioners. And then, um, you know, um, having a discussion with them about their hair allows when they come back to have um, better advice, to have more and more personalized services. So the answer to your question is yes. I think that, you know, the first step is getting this really um, uh, you know, magical experience with this, this kind of water and, um, personalized product, but it's also this over time creating a stronger and smarter relationship with, um, the kinds of treatments that you use, um, in the back bar. And the, and the overall goal is doing all of that is to also then save as much, you know, a, a lot of, uh, of water for the world. I mean, if, if we get this into a few thousand, salons, we can save um, just from that 1 billion gallons of water per year. Mm -hmm. So the potential is really high. So yeah, to, to answer your question more pragmatically, yes, I think, you know, that that discussion with the hairdresser and the um, salon with the consumer will become more and more interesting and driven by data, thanks to hopefully technologies like this. 
And if we wanted to try that out or, you know, to, to find it, to see what it's like, is it available? When's it, when's it rolling out? What's happening with that? So we've just started the rollout um, this week. Um, we're doing a few pilot um, salons in Manhattan. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's just the beginning. We're doing a couple, uh, you know, four or five pilot salons. And then over time, we're going to start in the, this year, we're going to go to hundreds and then the next few years to thousands. Um, and we will be um, uh, putting that uh, information as it starts to get more and more. We're going to announce that. But for now, it's, it just started. It's a brand, new, uh, a brand new pilot and it's happening in a few salons in in New York, but uh, uh, we're every day going to start to increase that and add um, more cities and more states and then more countries. Um, so, yeah, that information will become uh, we'll we'll communicate that as we get there. And the final question I have really is: is this is obviously a, a hair product? Last year we saw the makeup product. Is is that your intention at L'Oreal to kind of look at the different areas that the company works within to see what technology fits, rather than just always focusing on on makeup? Yeah, I think, well, as I'm part of R&D, I've been in the group 14 years and I've been in R&D the entire time. And, um, and our job in R&D is to create, um, create core technology and, uh, and innovation and then figure out where that could be best utilized. And I have to say that this is one of the blessings that I have of being at a company like L'Oreal because it's the number one beauty company. But really, the, it's the fact that we have every category. We're in salons, we're in spas, we're in hairdressers, we're in makeup artists. So like um, this allows me to be able to um, to have limitless uh, ideas when it comes to um, technology innovation. So I'm not in any way framed or... Um, you know, in any way um, uh, linked to any specific category. Um, we just have at any given moment projects in many different categories of beauty. And we try to make sure that, you know, they work and that they're innovative and they solve problems, but no, um, definitely not to one category. I can be in it. Um, and, and on that approach, what's kind of, is there a, a problem that you've, that you'd like to solve that you've been trying to solve for a long time, but have yet to kind of, to get the answer? Yeah, I have many problems in my mind all the time <laughs> that I want to solve, and I think uh, being in the same job for almost ten years, it, uh, you, you, I wake up every day thinking about the same kinds of you know challenges I want to face, and you know there are some that I have in my mind that I you know that are still brewing, and there's some that you know uh, I've talked about um, you know in certain settings, but I, I can say for example, one of them is I have this. Um, this uh, um, this mission that I really believe that we should be able to um, find ways to um, to apply man, you know very precisely products onto the skin, um, the ability to find um, and detect um, certain attributes on this uh, on your face, and then to be able to magically apply them. Um, if you think of an example of makeup, uh, maybe the future holds the fact that you could design something very um, complicated and just by understanding the shape of your eyelid, apply that, or understanding the shape of your cheeks, uh, uh, you know, having a kind of a physical and digital object to do that. So I think this kind of idea of precision um, is one, and and finding ways to to reach as many people as possible when it comes to our efforts around personalized beauty, um, because I think you know that's the that's one of the biggest. Um, challenges we will face is is um, ma massifying what we've uh, what what can you know what really works. Um, so I think you know um, 
there's that. And then there's the other 100 in my head, which would take two hours. I'll give you a couple. (laughs) Samsung's 2021 flagship range is here. Yep, we've got multiple devices, all just a little bit earlier than we normally see them. But are they any good? And which one should you go for? Pocalint's Chris Hall has been using the new Samsung Galaxy S21 and its bigger, more powerful sibling, the Galaxy S21 Ultra, to find out. So, Chris, which one should you go for and are they any good well that's a massive question to uh, <laughs> to, to kick off today um okay is let's let's find a starting point there's really two devices here there's the s21 and there's the s21 plus which are the same apart from the size difference and then there is the s21 ultra which is a completely different beast and the first thing to say is that these feel like like they're very different to the devices that came with the S20 range because they had the same broad lineup there, but they felt like they were all part of the same family, whereas now these feel like two separate families of phones. Right. So let's start with the uh, let's start with the smaller phone, the S21. As I've said, this is the, basically the same as the S21 Plus. The only difference there is the size of the display and tiny little things like the S21 Plus has ultra wideband in it if you'll ever be using ultra wideband. I don't know. There doesn't really seem to be much of an application for that at the moment. And the big thing that separates these from the ultra is that Samsung seems to have moved these down a stage, down a step. Um, There haven't been huge increases from the devices that came out the year before. And so if if you're a Samsung fan, you remember Samsung's lineup from previously. They had something called the S20 FE that they launched towards the end of the year. And this was sort of a a budget version of the flagship, still as powerful, still with the same cameras, but with a slightly cheaper build. They made a few changes in a few places. Now, I thought at the time that the S20 FE felt like a prototype, like Samsung testing the waters to say, what if we did this? And lo and behold, what they've done in the S21 and the S21 Plus is basically the same as the FE. So they have the three cameras on the back. Although they've changed the design slightly, they've kept the plastic back to the phone and they've kept the flat display. But the FE was a brilliant phone. We loved it. We, you know, it's award-winning and all the other stuff. Yeah. Now, the good thing about it was you were getting all of the power. You were getting a great, impactful display. You were getting the, the slick smoothness of Samsung's One UI, but you weren't having to pay a lot of money for it. And here's where the catch comes in. The S21 and the S21 Plus do cost more than the S20 FE. And the only real changes are that you get more powerful internal hardware so they've upgraded right. the hardware inside that's the really big difference between these phones so if you want that experience but don't want to pay as much money then the s20 fe is probably still a very competitive device to go out and buy so well there you go so that's so that's the that's the standard s21 and the s21 plus yes what who needs to go and buy the ultra then well this time around, I, I, you know, I'll be the first person to admit that I didn't like the S20 Ultra. I thought it was trying to do things that didn't make sense. Samsung was trying too hard to get it to work, and it just didn't come together. It didn't feel like a good phone. And it's, some people disagree with me. It's personal opinion. But having had that experience, I can now say that with the S21 Ultra, it feels like the phone that it should be. It is easily the most attractive phone in the, in the range. It's 
it, it just all seems to work in ways that it didn't before. And it has things to offer you that the smaller models don't. It does cost a lot of money and there's no denying that it costs a lot of money. It is right up in the premium tier of phone prices. I believe that it is more expensive than the iPhone 12 Pro Max as well. So wow. that kind of puts it in its place. But there is a lot that's going right for it. First of all, if you like big phones, then it's an easy choice. It hangs on to those premium Samsung features that we've seen before with the curved edges to the display that a lot of people still like and they still want to, to keep those. And they're a little bit more useful on a larger phone where you're trying to stretch your fingers and thumbs around it. Having those curves to the edge means no sharp edges. It's easier to grip and use. It still has that premium feel to it with the, with the glass back. And uh, Samsung spent a lot of time talking about the phantom black finish that they'd achieved and there's a lot of marketing thrown into there but it's actually a really nice phone it feels nice it looks nice it's silky smooth it doesn't attract any fingerprints which is just a blessing compared to so many phones around that just have a huge yeah, sheet yeah. of glass on the back that you're always cleaning this is a phone that look, just seems to look good all the time and look good from all angles of course one of the things that that black surface is doing is it's, is it's hiding the absolutely enormous camera housing that sits in the corner and People mocked Apple when they came out with their new sort of raised separated camera unit on the back. And Samsung seems to have said, don't worry about that. We can turn it up to 11. And it is enormous, but it seems to be fairly well (laughs) hidden. And it's also in the camera. Well, first of all, let's talk about the display first, because the display is big. It's very capable. One of the big changes that they've made here is that they have turned it into adaptive refresh rate. So if you only right. need 10 frames a second, you get 10 frames a second. If you need 120 frames a second, you get that. And everything in between. So that, save on, so that should save on your battery power, shouldn't it? Because it's not trying to overwork every situation where it needs to. Yeah, it means it's a much more efficient display. And it means that you can leave it turned on adaptive and you just know that it will take care of itself. You don't have to think, okay, I should probably turn this down, which was the problem with the previous version of it. And also that now works at all resolutions, whereas with the older device, the S20 Ultra, it didn't. You could only have 120 hertz if you stuck to um, the full HD resolution, whereas now you can have it on the quad HD resolution if that's what you want. So that means lots of detail, lots of fast-moving action. It's very, very capable, not to mention, you know, all of those really bright, punchy, vibrant visuals that that Samsung displays mm. are known for. So that side of the phone is really, really good. Flip it over and you come to that camera. Now, that's what everybody's really talking about. And people only ever seem to talk about cameras yeah. uh, when they're talking about phones these days. And there has been a lot of improvement. And from the testing that I've done, the S21 Ultra is considerably better than the S21 um, and I don't say that lightly. I've taken it out alongside one of the Pixel phones that I used last year that I liked. I took it out, out alongside the S20 FE, and it just seems to be better in all situations than the other phones that I've tested it alongside. So the camera is very, very capable. It's also one of the camera. It's also one of the phones where they've moved to a high resolution sensor, 108 megapixels for the main sensor. That was also in the S20 Ultra, but didn't really seem to didn't really seem to me to bring any real benefits here you can now see the benefits there is a lot more detail and it's a lot sharper than the s21 as i just said so it does seem like there's a real benefit here and also whilst it whilst it still offers these also also. also, (laughs) they 
they still offer this headline hundred times zoom thing space zoom they call it it's a, it is a oh, bit yeah. of a gimmick because by the time you get to a hundred times magnification you it, you just seem to be looking at mush if you didn't know what it was when you took the photo you'll have no yeah, idea yeah. what just, it I'm is just trying to even find what it is on the horizon line it must be hard enough yeah i mean it, it that is slightly insane but the real changes have come at much much lower down in the magnification range so it has a three times optical zoom lens which is useful the sort of lens that most phones have and it also has a 10 times optical zoom lens and what this means is that it now means that you can go to that sort of middle distance at that 10 times magnification and you get an image that is a lot better than the digital versions that we've seen in the past that means sharper zoom through that middle range once you get out beyond 30 it still starts to fall apart fairly quickly but when you compare it to, uh, say, the S21 again, which will do 30 times digital zoom, the quality difference is entirely different. It is a much, much better phone for those zooms. In the in the short ranges, it's great. In that middle distance, it's better. The, you know, the far end, I still think it's a bit of a gimmick, but overall, it's a great experience. So all in all, it sounds like you're pretty excited by them. Well... I am, and I would, I'm I'm slightly surprised by that because having reviewed these phones last year and reviewed a lot of phones in between, I approached them with a lot of caution, and I have been present pleasantly surprised, especially by the Ultra. I I really was not expecting it to be as good as it is, and I guess having been doing this for many years, to still find some joy in these things is uh, is quite a surprise. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week's show. Until next time, pip pip. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 